There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help others. Jesus said that it is better to give than to receive. And Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I don't know who wrote this proverb and when they wrote it, but we see in Jesus' life an example of serving and giving. And we see that also in the life of the Apostle Paul, whose life was absolutely devoted to sharing the gospel, to sharing the good news of Jesus. His life had been radically transformed because of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And now his life mission was to share the gospel. He said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And Paul went to the Jews and then was commissioned to go as a missionary to the Gentiles. But Paul, as he sought to share the gospel, encountered some challenges in life. He faced some difficulty. And there were times when this great pioneer missionary evangelist needed some help. He found contentment in whatever state he was in. But he was thankful when a church like the church at Philippi would come alongside and say, Paul, we're with you. We support you. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 10, really through 10 through 20. But we're just going to read, pick up in verse number 10 through 13. Philippians chapter 4, pick up with me in verse number 10 or read along on the screen. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word and speak to us today. Lord, as we see Paul sharing and showing his contentment. And as we see the church coming alongside and sharing and showing their support, may we be people who live in contentment and who are passionate about supporting the gospel. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Paul wanted to go to Rome it was the epicenter of the Roman Empire. He wanted to go as a preacher and a missionary, and instead he ended up going as a prisoner. He is under house arrest in Rome. His freedoms are limited. 
He is chained to a guard 24-7. He cannot do what he wants to do as far as going out and sharing the gospel. He cannot go where he wants to go. But Paul, in a, uh, a situation of living in a small house under house arrest, has shared that he has learned to be content. I don't know about you, but it would be hard to imagine my freedoms being ripped from me, being chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and being under house arrest and knowing that ultimately my life is on the line and I could be martyred at any time and find a a, a real sense of, man, this is my best life now. And yet, Paul, as he walks through this challenge in his life, is sharing and showing the contentment that he has in Christ. Now, there's something that we have to understand as we look at the world around us. Contentment is not something that we get from the outside and oozes to the inside. It is not something that we can buy that is going to bring this sense of overwhelming contentment for my life. It's not where I live or how much money I make or how much is in the bank or how good my health is. It is never the point of that I I have this transmission from the outside circumstances to the inside that miraculously brings a sense of contentment. Instead, Paul shows us that contentment is an inside job, that then, as the Lord builds on the inside, that no matter what's going on on the outside, we can still be content on the inside. Paul is teaching a lesson to the church at Philippi as he writes to thank them for the gift that he that they have given him. If you notice down in verse number 18, it mentions a man whose name is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has traveled about 800 miles from Philippi to Rome with a care package for Paul. He has brought a gift from the church at Philippi. And as Paul is receiving this gift, he's sharing two things. He's sharing the contentment that he has in Christ, and he is sharing his gratitude for their gift. So we learn something from both sides today, and that's what we're going to look at. We're going to think about Paul and his sense of contentment and the church and their support of the gospel, because that's what we pick up. In verse number 10, Paul is rejoicing again. That word rejoice that's used throughout the book of Philippians, that Paul under house arrest with his freedom stripped from him and many of the basic necessities of life eluding him, he rejoices in them and he rejoices now that their care for him has again flourished and he has received this gift from Epaphroditus. And then he jumps in and says, but church, you have something to learn here about contentment. So we see Paul's lesson. So the lesson of Paul is this, as we look at verse number 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The lesson of Paul is, is contentment shows that we trust God's will. The lesson of Paul is, is that contentment shows that we trust God's will. Paul says that in whatever state I am, I have learned to be content. 
Now, the word content itself means this, that I am self-sufficient, that I am satisfied, that I have enough. Paul does not speak this of himself and in his own flesh. He's not saying, man, I'm just satisfied with being Paul. I'm self-sufficient in being Paul. I have enough being Paul. That's not the picture at all. Because in verse 13, he, he reminds us that it's all about the strength of Christ in him. So Paul is saying this, I have learned whatever state I am, that I can be satisfied in Christ, that I can find sufficiency in Christ, that there is always enough in Christ. Even as verse number uh, 13, four, four, verse number 14 talks about the fact that he is in distress, he still shares, listen, I can be content in him. I can be satisfied on the inside. It's not my outward making me content on the inside. It's my inside making sure that no matter what's going on on the outside, I have a sense of satisfaction in my life and in my walk and in my relationship and in the provision of Christ. People think, man, if I can just arrive physically, materially, then I will be happy inwardly. And that's just not how it happens. If that's the way it would happen, then we would find that the wealthiest people would be the happiest people, and yet we do not find that. But you know, I find it interesting just across all of our nation. There really is a sense of a lot of people with a lot of discontent. I read an article this week called Materialism and Discontent in Prosperous America. The writer says this, the income of the average American has risen drastically in real terms in the last 40 years. That's more than just inflation. He's saying it really has gone up. The average American home is a thousand square feet bigger than it used to be 40 years ago, despite the fact that our families are smaller. The average American diet is 500 more calories per person than it was 40 years ago. The average American turned a wheel multiple times to call someone 40 years ago. Now we have smartphones that give us access to virtually any media information or person in the world, and it fits into the palm of our hand. Life expectancy has gone up over a decade in the last 40 years. This was written in 2016. The lifespan did dip just a little bit because of the opioid problem, uh, but, but if you stay off drugs, then your life expectancy is larger He says this, and he asks questions. Now listen to these questions. So has this abundance induced thankfulness on our part? Has it induced awe and wonder at our utterly fantastic situation and an appreciation for how rare it is even compared to the rest of the world today, let alone 40 years ago? Now listen to this. Does the average American, let alone perhaps the slightly poorer American, realize that they live a more materially comfortable life than the czars of Russia just a hundred years ago? The answer to the, to all the above is no. 
We have not a clue how good we have it. And the fact is, is that we, that we do, and the fact that we do not is indicative of the profound crisis of spirit that is making itself felt in this country. The fact that we fall for the narrative of grievance in the midst of such unparalleled prosperity shows the depth to which we have fallen. We are so unconcerned, dissatisfied with, or apathetic, listen, about spiritual things that our demands, expectations, craving for material things have become way out of proportion. What's he saying? He's saying that everyone is looking for contentment and satisfaction through materialism, and we have more than we've ever had, and no one's happy. That's what he's saying. Instead of being grateful and thankful, everyone still has a grievance. They're still dissatisfied. Paul is driving home the point. It's not what you have on the outside. It's who you have on the inside. And notice how he's going to drive this point home. First off, he shows us that contentment is not about our circumstances. It's unrelated. Notice verse number 11. He says, not that I speak in regard to need. I've learned to be content wherever I am. And then notice in verse number 12, I've learned to be abased and to abound. He's learned to be humbled. I've learned to go through the hardships. I've had the, the, the hard moments of life, the deep sorrows. I've learned to be abased and abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. Paul says, I've, I've been abased. I'm very low. I've had times where I've abounded, very high. There have been times I've been full, very high. And there have been times I've been hungry, very low. And Paul says, through it all, it's all about what's on the inside. There's a fable about a, a king who had an empire, but because of physical challenges that he was facing, it was not only affecting his physical life, but his emotional life as well. And so one of his wise advisors came to him and said, King, this is what you need. If you could just wear the shirt of a contented man, then you would find inner peace and contentment. So with that word from his advisor, he sent subjects out throughout all of his kingdom to find the shirt of a contented man and to bring it back to him. And his subjects came back and they reported to him. And they said, the king asked, did you find a contented man? And they said, yes, sire, we found a contented man. And then he asked the question, did you bring his shirt? And they said, sire, he has no shirt. It is the outward often that we rely on to bring inward. And Paul's saying it has nothing to do with that. Contentment is unrelated to circumstances. But then he shows us that contentment is learned. It's learned. Notice what he says in verse number 11. He says, I don't speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I've learned this. And then notice verse number 12. I know, I know, I have learned What is Paul talking about in that he has learned? He's learned. I know, I know, I have learned. Paul has learned it's not about his circumstances. 
If you have your Bibles, I want you to take, sometimes I just quote scripture, but I really want you to look in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. Hebrews 13, you're going to turn to the right just a little bit. Hebrews 13, 5 says this. Let your conduct, that word is the word life, your behavior. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Uh Uh-oh. Without covetousness means that I need to be content. And that's what he's going to say. Let your life or your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, for the Lord he's talking about, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What's Paul uh, saying? Look, I've learned, I've learned, I've learned. What does the writer of Hebrews say? It's not about coveting what someone else has. It's not about what I have. It's about whom I have. Let your life be without covetousness. Be content with the things that you have. For the Lord, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What shall man do to me? It's not about what I have. It's about who I have. And it works from the inside out. Not the outside, some possession, some magic 401k, 403b, some magic inheritance that comes into my life. It's not about this. It's about this. And Paul is saying contentment is learned. I know. I've learned. I've learned. Then, as we think about contentment, notice with me in verse number 13. And verse number 13 maybe is the most often misused verse in all the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is showing us that contentment trusts the power of Christ. Contentment trusts the power of Christ. Now, we've seen Philippians 4.13 all over the place. I mean, athletes write it on the, the eye black that they wear when they play football, and they scribble it on the inside of their ball cap when they play baseball, sometimes, uh, you know, they might put it on their wristbands, all of these kinds of things. Paul is not saying that Philippians 4.13 is about throwing more touchdown passes and hitting more home runs or striking out more people. What Paul is saying is this, that the power of Christ in me, the strength that he provides for me, energizes me so that I can find contentment in no matter what the circumstance. It's not about me. I was at the gym the other day, and, you know, somebody had a Philippians 4.13 shirt on, and I thought, dude, let's go put about 300 pounds on the bench press, and let's let's watch you claim Philippians 4.13 so that you can do... It's not about the physical. It's about Christ strengthening me so that I can do everything that he wants me to do in his will with the right attitude. I have the strength and I have the inner contentment to do whatever he calls me to do. That's the picture. So Paul, he says, look, I've learned whatever state I am to be content. Can I ask you today, 
I don't know what's going on in your life. I, you know, I, I, many of you, I, I know issues and things that you've gone through recently. But down the depth of your heart, is there a sense of contentment? It's not about something magically happening on the outside to bring contentment on the inside. It's about who's on the inside getting control of my life so that I now have a different perspective of the outside. Are you grateful? Are you thankful? Are you living with gratitude? Boy, when we look at everyone else, and, and you know, we never compare ourselves to anyone lower than us. We always compare ourselves to someone higher than us and think about things that they don't have instead of things that, that we have that others don't have. But we're always looking up, thinking, if I could just get this or drive something like this or wear somebody like, something like this or live in there, it's all about the physical thinking it's going to bring contentment. And that's just not how it works. Paul makes it clear. And Hebrews says, don't be coveting, be content. There are people that because of their discontentment, they think, well, you know, if I can just find that right person, if I could just get married, then I would be content. And then there are some people who think, if I could just be single again, I would, ju- I would really be content this time. I wasn't last time because I thought I had to be content to be married. But now that I'm married, I think if I could just go back. See, we, we, we get all these ideas in our head. And the picture is, is spiritual health comes when I recognize all that the Lord has done for me. And I'm content and satisfied in him. Now, that doesn't mean that we work hard and we want to move up in our company or make more money and do those kinds of things. But it says this, no matter where I am, I'm going to live with a sense of contentment. So then Paul then turns the corner in verse number 14. Notice with me in verse number 14. And he begins with that word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Paul now expresses gratitude. He says, I've learned to be content, but let me tell you, that gift from Epaphroditus, oh, it was such a blessing. Notice what he says, verse number 15. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. This church had given to him more than once. They had given consistently. They were supporting the gospel. And then he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift that I, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now Paul turns, and instead of looking at his life and teaching on contentment, now he turns to the church at Philippi, and he shows them that giving is essential, and that giving, as we think about it, shows that we care about God's work. Paul says to this church, you sent aid once and again. 
when I was in Thessalonica, once and again, you sent help. You sent support. I don't know what it would have been like in first century for Epaphroditus to take off and maybe get on a boat and walk and do all that he had to do to travel 800 miles to get to Paul. But when he gets there, Paul is excited. And maybe for the first time since he's been in that Roman prison, he says, "Woo! I abound. I'm full. Maybe as we think about Paul and his distress in verse number 14, that the necessities of even food where he says, I was hungry, was not being met in his life. The basic necessities of life, the things that, that he needed in life. And now Paul looks at this church and says, thank you, thank you, thank you. And notice what he shows. He shows that giving is an investment. Giving invests in God's work. As he looks at that passage in verse 14 through 17, he says, man, as I've traveled and as I've moved along, once and again, you've come alongside and you have invested, not just in me, but invested in God's work. And notice with me in verse number 17. Not that I seek the gift. Paul is saying, look, I'm I'm, I'm not after just what, what you're giving me so that I can have it. I'm not after a gift. But Paul, looking with this eye and heart of contentment, looks ahead and he says, look, man, I'm, I'm thankful for the gift, but I'm not looking for just a gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul is saying, like with an accountant's ledger, I want to be able to put some things for the eternal kingdom down on your account. The fruit of lives being touched, the fruit of hearts being changed, the the fruit of lost people coming into the kingdom of light. I am longing for you to see that giving invests in lives being touched with the gospel. And can I tell you, that's what giving is to be about. That's why we give to the church. That's why we give to the Lord. Because we long to have a part in what God is doing in the lives of others. I long for the fruit for your account. Can I ask you? What's your heavenly account look like? I'll tell you what your heavenly account looks like. It looks like what you've invested in the gospel. That's what it looks like. It looks like lives that have been touched. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, treasure up for yourselves things in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, it's interesting. He didn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. He said for the things that you treasure, it's going to have a string and it's going to pull your heart. So that if you're interested in giving to spiritual things, then those spiritual things are going to pull your heart to the things of God. Are you giving? 
Paul says, not that I seek a gift, but I long to have fruit that goes on your account. I don't know what anyone gives around here, and I I do that purposefully because I don't want anyone to ever think that I treat someone differently because of how much money they give. It's really irrelevant, and and it's just something I don't want to have a part of. But can I tell you? God does. He does. He knows it all. And he knows if you're more interested in the physical and the temporal, the material, or if you're interested in the eternal and the spiritual. He knows. He knows. You say, well, Pastor Buddy, where do I start if I want to think about giving? Well, I think it's a great practice. As we look at the Old Testament, they gave a tithe of 10%. That's a great place to start. But, but even that, you say, well, what if I just start at five? Well, start somewhere if you're not giving at all. But the truth of the matter is, is as we think about a tithe, then, then we can think, can I do more? Because notice what Paul says. As we look in Philippians chapter, chapter 4, pick up in verse number 18. Paul says, indeed, I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Giving not only invests in God's work, but giving pleases God. And he says, look, I want your giving to be an acceptable sacrifice. I want it to be a sweet-smelling aroma that goes before the Lord. Because when I give like that, God's pleased. When we were in seminary, I've I've told you before, we just didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of money. And and, uh, we moved to our first church, and it was a small church, and we lived in a parsonage, and had two old cars, but man, we thought we had arrived. We had come and lived living in a three-bedroom house, and it had a little bit of acreage. I think it was, you know, on, on the end of a uh, of, of a street, and the boys could play in the yard. And but Julie, she found a, a little trial size of some perfume, and it was five dollars, and she bought it, and uh, I didn't know she bought it. But we were getting ready to go somewhere. Maybe we were going to church. And I was dressed and ready, and she came around the corner. And, man, I got a whiff of that. She still wears it. It's called Happy. But the first time I smelled it was like, wow. I felt like it's a terrible example when Herodias danced before Herod because it's all immoral and that bad stuff. But Herod said, whatever you want up to half the kingdom. I didn't have a lot to offer, you know, but I mean, man, it was so good. Happy, man. Smelling that. It's like, wow, that's awesome. And I think, God, I want, I want my giving to go up like that. I wanted to go up as a sweet-smelling aroma. I I wanted to be well-pleasing, sacrificial, 
And I want you to be pleased. More than what anyone else knows, or who you help, or how you help, or when you do something privately. God, I just want it to please you. And Paul says, I want the fruit that's going to go on your account. And I want you to know when you give to the Lord, it goes up to him like a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, and it is well-pleasing to him. Sometimes we work really hard to please others or to at least give the perception that we're pleasing others by what we drive or what we wear or what we have or where we go. And I enjoyed running around doing things and hanging out and all that kind of stuff too. But I want my giving to please God. Then he says in verse number 19, notice with me, this is a promise that we we look too often. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Giving shows that we trust God's promises. Paul says to the church at Philippi, if you'll meet my need as you have, my God is going to supply for not just one need, God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Now notice Paul and his personal nature, but my God... There's this understanding that Paul had a walk with the Lord that probably is unparalleled, at least in the first century and beyond, as we think of his relationship with God. And he says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Not just out of his riches and glory. Not just, you know, he's got a little bit of an account over here and and he's going to help you out. According to the infinite riches that he possesses, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Out of the abundance of riches that he has, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the psalmist tells us. And he not only owns the cattle, he owns the hills. And the picture is, is according to all the riches that he bestows, He'll meet all of your needs in verse number 20 and reminds us it's not about us. It's to God be the glory forever and ever. It's about him. So Paul is running on, on two rails here as he, as he, as he shows and teaches on contentment and then shows about gratitude or giving. And here's the picture. I think the most contented people are the people who have Christ in their life and have a promise that God will supply all of their needs and out of what they have, they understand it's all from him and we're giving it back. The truth is, is you think about giving 10%, can I tell you, in just a heartbeat, you could lose it all. It's all his. It's not about what you have. And frankly, verse number 20 lets us know it's not about you at all. It's about his glory. It's about his work forever and ever. So I ask you today, are you living in contentment? Are you showing your care about the gospel through giving? Those are your rails. Giving and contentment and contentment 
and giving. And I think Paul weds them both together very well. Giving allows us to bless others, invest in the work of God. And Paul says, contentment and gratitude are the examples that I am setting and that we need to be following. Paul's greatest gift that he ever received was the gift that he received in Acts chapter 9 when he came to understand that he was lost and that he needed a Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he came to understand, died on the cross to pay the penalty for his sin and rose again from the dead, when he understood that his life was changed. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul writes this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich. Can I tell you, if you know Jesus today, you're rich. Are you content is the question I ask. Paul says, he became poor so that we could become rich. You have something to give and some way to support. Paul was a giver. And on this instance, Paul was on the receiving end. But Paul was one who invested his life. Are you investing your life in the gospel?